0: What's up, Moto Buddies? Mike here from Taco Moto Co. What is the Taco Touch? It's the best service in the industry. Virtually 24-7 tech support via email or text. And it's like having a dirt bike doctor on call every day of the year, helping you fix your bike or recommend parts or setups for you. If you've ever received an order from us, you know that the Taco Touch extends to our fulfillment and our orders come with the coolest stickers that you've ever had uh, buying parts from anybody before and a handful of root beer barrel candies. Um, All of our Taco Moto Co-branded components come with a no-questions-asked lifetime warranty and we'll even extend out the warranty of other manufacturers, OEM, and aftermarket parts where we can, sometimes for life. We test and tune endlessly and exhaustively and obsessively. We're trying to destroy everything that we can before you get your hands on it to look for weaknesses and to improve it. Or to make recommendations to the manufacturer. And if it's something that doesn't uh, meet grade, then we don't offer it on the store. Everything that we carry is something that we have personally used, tested, and ridden, and raced, and knows meets the, the high taco touch demanding standard. Go out and get some adventure. In episode 73 of Tuck Talk Taco Tuesday, Jimmy Lewis and Logan Tyler are joined over the phone by guest Martin Hackworth to discuss Tour of Idaho. You'll also hear an interesting discussion about kilowatts versus horsepower, as well as some free riding tips. Also discussed is Chinese dirt bikes that might be available for kids. There's a Magura clutch slave issue that gets discussed, as well as some changes that were made to KTM's 390 Adventure and why you should choose the CRF 230F over the XR650L. Keep listening, as there's other topics discussed that would just make this intro way too long. (laughs)
1: 7 o'clock, and it's Tuesday, and that means we do a show called
2: Tech Talk Taco Tuesday.
1: That was good, Logan. Right on cue. Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, and it's a show we talk about...
2: Motorcycle products and motorcycle-related
1: products, uh, Motorcycle and motorcycle-related products, or you can say dirt bike and dirt bike-related products. But I like to throw the motorcycles in there, because we do talk about adventure bikes and dual sport bikes mm. and all different kinds of motorcycles so um yeah somebody thinks i'm drinking corona and white cloth <laughs> i was drinking i have loma azul i have the miller highlight over here i'm wearing the taps of the ribbon shirt although so you can't see it uh you know got all the ingredients to make this a halfway decent show uh we got a uh, plan for a call-in we got some uh, big news evidently um lots of people there hey i um, I want to ask you, if you could, all of our fans that are in the chat room and the Facebook things, if you could go and share this right now, like, or find, no, here's what, don't just share it. Find your dingbat friend. See, they're not going to hear this part of the podcast or the show. I want you to find your dingbat friend that asks you all those questions and go, hey, I found a guy that'll answer your questions for you. And he'll do it live and he'll give you really good answers and turn them on to this thing. And let's see that. Let's see the numbers go up a little bit high tonight. I know they'll get bored really quick, but tell them if they ask questions in the chat room and Logan picks up on it. He'll tell me, hey, we got a really good one. That's your new job. Along with the other jobs. Yeah. And uh, we'll answer those questions. And then and then your friend can quit bugging you. But he'll probably go, is that guy really? Is that guy for real? Is that Jimmy Lewis guy know what he's talking about? Do I? Yeah. You sure? Yes. Yeah. You saw me ride a mountain bike. Yeah. Not very good.
2: Very strong, like lungs.
1: Yeah. I got. I climb. I climb okay. But it's it's not lungs. It's belly. <laughs> it's really... It's called the camel front principle. It's kind of like a camel back. But we're not going to talk about that on this kind of show. So uh, this show is brought to you by a few fine uh, companies and sponsors, we'll say. Uh, first of all, it's brought to you by... KTM and Logan is going to not not read it. You're going to you're going to get it. You're going to nail it this time, right? You've been practicing for hours. Instead of doing your schoolwork, you've been practicing this read, right?
2: Oh, uh, whenever I ride my dirt bike, I practice.
1: Okay, so that means you practiced for the 10 minutes when you rode over here today. Yeah. Okay, let's have it. What is KTM?
2: Um, they're powered by a distinct ready-to-race mentality. KTM is the world's leading high-performance street and off-road motorcycle manufacturer with North American headquarters based in Marietta, California. Over the years, KTM has built a reputation as a fierce competitor on the racetracks around the world, and its global success is, like, shown in every product it develops and every move it makes.
1: That was, like, 99%. That was pretty good, yeah. Yeah, that's KTM. Uh... The, the the move that it made to sponsor this podcast, I think, was the, the best one, really, in my opinion, other than making the KTM 500, which allegedly is um, the best bike in the world for everything, uh, which we'll probably get into that at some point or another on this show, like we always do, um, when somebody asks me. Uh, it's not a podcast, uh, <laughs> so we'll get into that. Hey, um, what are we going to talk about tonight, Logan? What's your segment about tonight?
2: Not sure yet.
1: You're not sure you're gonna make it up. Okay. Probably. Remember you can ask questions too. So today I rebuilt a uh Yamaha YZ one twenty five. I got the piston right here in my hand. Yeah, you can't see this on the podcast. But this is a twenty summite hour uh YZ one twenty five piston. Not too bad, huh?
0: No. I wiped no. it
1: I wiped it pretty clean. But uh you can touch so you're allowed to. It's not they don't bite or anything. Um yeah, I, I was listening to another podcast about motorcycles, and like while I listened to that, I learned like what color gear I should wear, and they argued about um, whether you should consider a finisher a motocross race if you didn't cross the checkered flag, stuff like that. So, but uh, that's what you do when you're working on your bike. You listen to this podcast, and then I'll probably talk about what you're working on, and then you'll go, "Uh oh, I'm doing it wrong." That's that's possibly what could happen, right, Logan? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, uh, We got some cool stuff for our KTM 390. You should probably ride that home, dude. Okay. uh, We got the W wheels for it, and I put brand new Ken to big blocks on it. Okay. So it's it's uh, good, and and with that tuner now, the ECU tuner, it goes faster, and it starts up now. It it still takes two two starts to get it to idle down, but you're good there, and. uh, Yeah, so some of the questions we had asked – so the ways you can ask questions on this podcast is comment on the YouTube videos. Uh, Since we're not really a podcast and we found out that iTunes hates us, um, then you can't really comment there. But you can comment on the YouTube videos. We usually go through those uh, once a week and grab the good ones, uh, bring them and answer them here. Then you can also, if you want to listen to this – or watch it (coughs) (coughs) lot. Now you gotta start talking, Logan. I need it.
2: Um the YZ250F test is up now on dot That's
1: right. Yeah, yeah, good. And uh so, anyways, uh what was I talking about before I started trying to choke myself to death? <laughs> 390. Oh, 390. the 390, yeah. Uh got some double take mirrors on it. Um it's good. Uh it's gonna be a good bike. So we're doing a project. I need to get graphics for it. I'd like to get some graphics. So if anybody has any suggestions on that, that would be good. And, oh, how to comment on this. Uh, this You would go to the YouTube page and comment on the, the show there. And or you can watch this live every Tuesday night on Facebook. That's currently where we're um, broadcasting this live. And you ask questions in the chat room. And then usually one of our three experts that actually is qualified to call themselves an expert might answer your question properly. And if it's a good question, somehow it gets to me, and then we we actually answer it live. So it's a pretty interactive show. Um, that's the best that we can do. So uh, Chris Reel uh, asked, how about the tire pressures for adventure bikes and spring adjustments to compensate for too much gear? Uh, adventure bikes, I run 27 PSI on my tires front and rear almost all the time no matter how much gear i uh have and spring adjustment because a lot of those bikes have adjustable spring preload i run it as stiff as possible all the time no matter what because i just find that that's the ideal tire pressure for riding on and off-road uh all heavy on the off-road side and the maxed out spring preload tends to hold the bike up a little bit higher in the stroke and give it a better um a better just overall feel it and when when you're at 27 psi the tires do that initial bump compliance thing that they don't do when they're at 30 or 35 pounds that's the key to it but if you aren't very smart and you smack into big rocks all the time don't run 27 because uh well you can but don't run any less because you're going to knock the uh you're going to knock the the rims kind of silly it sound worse with the headphones on? No. Your headphones are bad?
2: No, it's just a little warm in here.
1: Oh, a little warm in here. Air conditioning's not working. <laughs> the uh, or, or did some, one of your girlfriends like text you and say, take those goofy <laughs> headphones off? No. No? Okay. Um, let's see. Um, Travis Langley wanted to know the best used fir- first dirt bike for kids. Logan, this question is for you. My son is 13 and would we'll be doing Mellow Trails. I could only buy new if I were to go with a Chinese bike, but I've heard different opinions on the quality. Thanks.
2: Um, if he's close to like 4'8", foot, get him an 85. Any brand, they all work. Uh, most like the name brands and
1: yeah well they don't have chinese 85s yet yeah not yet they will soon i'm sure all you have to do is just ship one of those motors over there they'll just knock it off and there'll be a new one it'll be a jing 85 (laughs) uh i what about ttr 125 xr 100 those are those are the ones i would suggest um and it's first bike, and so here's the thing, and here's what you're gonna find, especially right now, is the the clutchless bikes, in other words, the ones with the auto clutch, the the KLX one tens, the CRF one tens, the the you know, the the different ones that even the fifties that are auto clutches and stuff. And he's probably getting a little bit big for some of those size wise, and he's gonna have a growth spurt. If he if you don't learn to use the clutch that's going to be the next hurdle and 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 so i'm always you know i I had to learn to ride with a clutch it was i never i i rode well i did i did ride a honda 50 into the side of my friend's mom's car um but the minute i could really ride i was on bikes with clutches and it's really not that hard to master and you figure you're going to be using the clutch the rest of your life so might as well just get it out of the way um uh, there. So, like, I think the XR100s, TTR125s, KLX140s, bikes like that are pretty good. And the clutchless bikes are selling for a premium right now because everybody's racing them around in backyards and you can't find them at dealers. So, and you can find, I mean, they've been making XR100s and CRF125s and stuff for since before, so 50 years now. And uh, you can find them used. And if you go the Chinese route, you will learn how to be a good mechanic and i honestly don't think that's a bad a bad thing either because they will break and you're going to learn how to replace hardware um tap the the bolts you know where they strip out of the frame uh, the engines are pretty bulletproof but you're going to learn how to like replace gaskets and carburetors you're going to learn how to source parts from god knows where because you can't go to a normal dealer and get them um so uh maybe buy a new Chinese, a used Chinese bike <laughs> that somebody can't get running. Tell your kid if he can't fix it, then he can't ride it, and then he has to fix it. He'll have some ownership in that thing. Yep. And then keep your eye out for a good Japanese.
2: Which he's five seven and one thirty.
1: Oh he is? Oh yes. he answered it. Oh. So he's almost yeah. ready for a one twenty five, a two stroke. Yeah. Yeah, there's well, those are hard to get too because all of us old guys they're buying them up and racing them but um even at 57, I mean I'm I'm 5'10 and I still ride a TTR 125 and an XR 100. So, yeah, you can fit on them and good to learn. Get him get him a Chinese. <laughs> but he's then he's up in a CRF 230 land, um TTR 250. Yeah. There's so many different bikes. Um you know, just a good it uh, just I would I would go with the four stroke and just something to learn to ride on, and yeah. But always keep your get that one, get it running good. Be ready to sell it when you find the next thing that he wants, because uh, I think that's a that's good. That's that would be my path. That's what I would do. I see that Travis says he's five seven hundred thirty ish pounds. <laughs> he's gonna be a big kid. Um, and then everybody in the room is throwing out the TTR one twenty fives and KX one hundreds and all the other stuff as well. So uh, what does Robert Miller want to know?
2: Um, when did EFI on a dirt bike really come into its own and start being superior on a FCMX?
1: So he's talking about a car, basically a carburetor. Uh, pretty much the minute that it went onto to dirt bikes, <laughs> it was superior. Uh, a lot of people disagree with me on that, but... Um, you know, literally since they started putting EFI on any of the bikes, the the, tu- the, they weren't necessarily tuned to feel like a carburetor, but they carbureted better. If that makes sense, they they provided a better air fuel mixture. They the bikes ran better, stalled less, and every year they got better and better and better. So right from the get go, um, almost any bike that has a carburetor, I wish it would have been a better bike if i had a fuel injection with the exception of some of the early uh stuff they were using on the huskies and the christini is one as a an awkward fuel injection system um but for the most part any of the popular stuff uh it was it was better but i tell you what the two-stroke carbs are actually pretty good but i still like fuel injection better go on the record what about doug derby
2: How about Jimmy's tips for a mud race with radiators and keeping the engine alive for the whole moto?
1: I bet you Doug watched the motocross races this weekend, huh? Yeah. Were you just sitting there watching, waiting for those guys to blow up when it started steaming? Oh, yeah. So you know this. Where's the heat coming from? Clutch. Clutch. Exactly. So you notice how on that track um, there were certain sections where the bike would just be steaming and then it would go away. Essentially that's the section where shortly after they just use the hell out of the clutch or anytime a bike stopped and everybody thinks it's because there's air not moving through the radiators. Of course that's some of it. But if you watched how they had those radiators covered up, they put essentially they put pantyhose, um, a nylon sheet in front of the radiator grill. And sometimes they even put a a, 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 a section of like thick screen to give it some extra stability. Cause there's so much weight on it because they want that mud to kind of fall off, but it really decreases the airflow But that's not really the core problem. The core problem is the bike can actually cool itself pretty well uh, just, you know, through the engine heat. But it's when you start adding all this heat. And if you want to know what clutch heat is like, if you have a grinder, go take a nice piece of metal and grind on it for a second and then try to touch where you just ground. That's what's going on when your clutch is slipping. When you're slipping your clutch, you've got an engine that's trying to put out, eh, on those bikes 40 some eyed 50 70 horsepower, whatever, and you're trying to reduce it down to get traction, you know, if the bike's stuck, like, you know, you should just drop the damn clutch. You shouldn't be slipping it like these guys do. But a lot of times they're they're the wheels already spinning and they're slipping their clutch because that's how they ride. That's the that's the technique that they use. Yeah. So the heat is coming from the clutch. So the best thing you can do is to stop using the clutch. And you'll even hear the announcers who are told not to talk about technical things, start saying, well, they got to get off the clutch, lay off the clutch. They did. That's the case. And what are, what are the guys riding on the, on the pit boards, save the bike off the clutch, save the bike off the clutch. The trick is put the, do the prep on the radiators, put some, some sort of thing so that the mud can't pack physically pack in the radiator. Cause the bad thing about it is when the mud, the wet mud goes and splashes into the radiator, a hot radiator, it also dries. And then it starts caking up. And that's why you want to stop it before it gets there. So they actually put the, uh, the pantyhose because the mud doesn't really stick to it. And if it does, it sticks, and then it starts falling off as, yeah. it, as it grows up. So, uh, Doug, that's how, uh, that's how I would do it. But I would, I, I would prep the radiators and then stay off the clutch.
2: Uh, Next. Paul Van Hout. Issues with Magura clutch slave cylinder failures? So a thing on the 2020 FE 350 and no just the
1: 350. Um so I don't know. Um it's a known thing that the 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 Magura ones aren't as um haven't been as durable as the it's the Brembo ones on the KTM or I think are there Magura, Magura what? I thought
0: they fixed it. Well, it's it's
1: it's been a well, it's, I don't, I don't i don't know i haven't had i have not had that problem on any of my bikes um but i haven't had any huskies and we've the husky test bikes we have we haven't had the problem but if there is a fix i guarantee you that the press bikes that we get would have had it done that's the thing but i'll tell you how to fix it for sure if you think it's a problem uh recluse makes a higher quality part um and on, on your question they're actually through a link to the um recluse's little blog that probably has more information on it than i cared to read but i knew it was correct so i sent it to you (laughs) um but uh and so i've never had i've never had a failure on the ktm parts uh you know even going back to some of my older ktm rfs bikes and i tell you what some of those things are really thrashed some of them for sale right now if you want to buy one um and i have replaced a lot of mine uh with the recluse slave units on my bikes cuz they have the recluse clutches and then it's a whole different part at that point but uh yeah uh so i don't know if it's an issue uh i'm sure the internet's will tell you it's an issue and then they'll list the, probably the five different things that you can do to fix it but i would just go get that recluse part because i've had good luck with the ones i've used and uh that should be good uh this is about our KTM 390 test
2: um delvin Flippin' good review. I disagree with your opinion on seat height, though. I am a f- fairly short guy, 5'7", and I do riding here in Africa on the KTM 1090. Riding on tough tracks, riding up rocks, and very rocky hills climbs is very difficult when you can't put your foot on the ground. I rode the th- 790, which made a big difference able to put a foot down and push off a rock i did the ride i do ride a ktm 300 for enduro
1: and he's worried about the he's worried about the seat my comment on the seat height on the the 390 yes i you know i i i understand it i teach people all the time that are that want to get their feet on the ground that's their that's their they feel like if they can't put both their feet on the ground that they're going to fall over and my way of explaining that to them is okay which side do you want to fall over to because if you want to put both feet down you're telling me you don't know which side you're going to fall over on because if i was going to fall to one side or the other i would put that foot down to stop me from falling i wouldn't try to put the other one down when you're balanced on the showroom and putting your feet down, that's what you're that's what you're showing me. We call it putting the rudders out. So when you all of a sudden change your the way that you want to ride and operate the motorcycle to only putting one or the other foot down, when that becomes standard, all of a sudden the seat height issue starts to diminish and it goes away. And if you are compromised in in seam length, you just start learning to shimmy your butt off to the side to the so you can put your foot down, the, the foot that you want to. Um, and when you see really good riders, when both their feet come off, that is an, we'll call it an oh shit moment. It's like they're, at that point, they're out of control. When you as a regular rider start throwing both of your feet down, I see exactly the same thing. So um, I'll agree to disagree with you. Um, and if you're riding a KTM 90 at 5'7", you're doing pretty good. I, i'm I'm 510 and i put a tall seat on my 1090 so that's actually two and a half inches taller than standard so you can see how much uh i care about uh, getting my feet plural on the ground because i i don't but uh yeah um in the 790 he says, makes a big difference to be able to foot down and push off of a rock. That's, like I said, put a foot down. Yeah, you don't put feet down and push off of rocks that often. And if you, if you are, that's not really what the 390 is uh, designed for. Okay, what does JD want to know?
2: Uh, the, the bike is robust enough until the, you bend the s- stock wheel regardless of tire choice. Reviewers are put pulling punches on this bike.
1: Um, we mentioned that we dented the wheels on our KTM 390, uh, and we dented them enough to where I thought it was a concern. And we have new, better wheels, which are, weren't that easy to source. Believe it or not, um, we had to get uh, the hubs off of a Husky smart pillin smart smart pillin or something it's a it's like a little commuter city bike that has spoked wheels and use those and spoke them up to the uh the uh, 16 and 19 inch rims uh, from uh, w w wheels knows how to do it now they know the right rim sizes and they're trying to source the hubs (laughs) so um and I, i i was just told that ktm hard parts uh is also going to have some spoked wheels options for it so we're not really we didn't pull any punches with it we called it like it was Um, yeah, they, they know that the, the wheels are uh, soft, but then again, we're probably riding a little bit outside of the, the, the target audience. We're riding a little bit harder than that. So there we go.
2: Um, for all the justified praise of the 790 KTM needs to hear criticism, on their mistakes on this one.
1: yeah, that's what we just as we just talked about. Yep. yeah, so what does JS want to know?
2: Agree a thousand percent about seat height. We're in a race to the bottom, so to speak, ninety nine percent of modern bikes are already designed for short people, like five six. But the manufacturers, when they get this massive contingent of short people, who don't want to have to learn how to ride so they still.
1: Did you lose your place? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh. Hmm. C- complain about seat height? Yeah. They complain about the seat heights that are already designed to fit them. So then the manufacturers have to make the bikes even lower. We all end up with an entire industry full of motorcycles that have been totally compromised by seat height. Say nothing of how ridiculous the ergonomics are for average and tall riders. So, JS, how tall are you? <laughs> Sounds like a six-footer. Yeah, um, I don't think they. I don't think they go. They they do go overboard with things like cutting the seat heights down and that's not why now you see a lot of manufacturers that are offering taller seat options through their, their power parts or their heart, uh, you know, Yamaha accessories, GYTR does it, um, things like that. Uh, I don't think that they, they try not to move the stuff around on the chassis. Um, but uh, yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. I mean, I think it's worse if you're a tall guy. I think you're, you're in a, you're in a harder position to to make the bikes work if you're tall it's a little bit more difficult but luckily i'm perfect so i don't have to worry about it so next
2: lg rocks jimmy you keep calling it a podcast but it's not it's a youtube video it's not a freaking podcast until you put it where podcasts belong so many so any episode after 50 you are not where podcasts belong
1: Well, he's right. Um, I actually started noticing this the other day because I I was going to put up episodes um, uh, 51 through 70 and found out that our YouTube account, or no, our iTunes account, which is uh, somehow administered through Apple in France, uh, decided that we are not a podcast. We are a test. It says dirt bike test, so obviously the test, and they probably didn't listen to it in English and they thought it was just some jackass talking about himself the whole time. And so they just banned it. And so all of our stuff dropped off of iTunes. It's still up on, um, it's on SoundCloud right now and it goes a few other places. Uh, I think it's on Stitcher right now, but I'm trying to get that all sorted. I really, I really am. But um, as you can tell, I spend most of my time uh, in a garage working on dirt bikes or riding dirt bikes or stumbling around computers making things worse so um can't help <laughs> maybe by the time you maybe by the time this gets uploaded uh it won't be a youtube video it'll be a podcast as well so we're working on it uh lg rocks do you know anybody who knows how to work on that because i'd sure like some help uh, a guy was helping me and i think he's the one that set up the account in france for me <laughs> so uh, yeah.
2: Um, Charlie Tuna, 1971. Spotify for your podcast. Then we can go, then we can grocery shop for, or pretend to work while listening. YouTube requires $13 per month to play videos in the background of like a podcast.
1: I'm not worth 13 bucks a month? I mean, I don't get any of that. So yeah you're right i'm I'm I, uh Spotify I think is it on Spotify? I don't know I gotta go do the um I need a technical consultant uh, somebody that was supposed to handle that, but not me um yeah we did we're doing the best we can here so it's a motorcycle show. Let's quit talking about the damn technology, right Logan yes, why don't you learn how to do that and do that for me? I'll pay you. I'll pay you double what I pay you right now. You're doing the math in your head. It's really easy to multiply by zero, Logan. <laughs> it's really easy. It's all the same. I just trying to
2: figure out the other possible number beto- beside zero.
1: Oh, the other number. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do whatever the other number you want to multiply by zero. I'll give that to you. That can be your salary. We just got to multiply it by zero. Don't do uh, math. It hurts. But it's hard. You really, yeah, you really, <laughs> sh- you, you really, yeah, you should, that's why you should learn how to do all this podcasting crap. Then you don't have to do math, you just upload it onto wherever, whatever it's called.
2: Dirt bike tests. Mm-hmm. Do you know the KW power of the bike?
1: That's kilowatts. Hell no. We don't do kilowatts here. Well, I mean, that's technically that's how they measure the horsepower is with kilowatts. So, why do you want to know how many kilowatts your bikes make? Are you trying to compare it to like how many how many kilowatts does your electric mountain bike make? 750? With a dead battery up at the top of a hill? You look oh. pretty pathetic pushing that thing up. <laughs> so I went riding with Logan. Me and Logan rode up a, up a mountain on, on, on uh, electric bikes, and I was smart enough to leave mine in trail, and Logan decided to drop me with boost, but uh, his dad didn't charge the battery all the way up. <laughs> so uh, yeah, how'd that work out at the top?
2: Got pretty fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, it sucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that what you call that? Yeah, that was fun. Bob's waving his hand. Uh,
3: kilowatts is the international standard for measuring
1: power. Okay. Yeah. So is this? Are we in international? We're we in America. Or you just Google <laughs> kilowatts, uh, okay. Then power he should he should he should have done that. pitar Yeah. Um, I don't. How test test dirt bike test? Do you know the kilowatts power of the bike? No. I don't ever even know what the horsepower of the bike is. I can tell you how fast it is. I can guess what the horsepower is, and generally I'm right. But um, uh, I haven't converted my horsepower ass dyno to kilowatts yet.
2: Um, uh, Multiply the horsepower by 0.7 to get a kilowatt. There
1: you go. Oh, that's why we don't use kilowatts because then it's less yes yeah why would you even want to do that like if your bike if if your bike already is like weak like you know my 125 that makes maybe 20 what does it 125 make 28 28 yeah i'm gonna guess i don't want to i don't want all of a sudden to be making like 22 kilowatts no i want 28 horsepower yeah you take your kilowatts and go away (laughs) just go back to wherever you came from we're not doing kilowatts here uh what's the other did asked another question what's the next question
2: Um, CRF 250L?
1: No, this one right here. Look at that.
2: Oh. Can you drive this bike with a A2 license?
1: Yeah. Do you have an A2 license, Logan? I don't think so. No, neither do I. I've never had one. We don't have them here. In Nevada, you just have to ride your your bike with holsters and guns loaded. So that's how we do it here. No kilowatts and no A2 licenses. Next question.
2: Um, on the CRF 250L... Olin Lee, man, I don't get it. The bike is about 350 pounds. That's on par with the XR650L, and that's not far behind the DR650. The advantage of the 250 class is they are light. What's the point of getting a, a 250 if it weighs as much as a six fifty, and has half the power,
1: because you want a bike with half the power, you want a two fifty. <laughs> <It's, laughs> so here's the here's the funny thing about that, uh bully. It's like bully. See that? It's like a play on words, bully. It's, he's uh, he's trolling us a little bit, but that's okay. I'll answer the question. Um, a guy who's too macho for a heavy little two fifty. Uh. The funny thing about bikes that are like two fifties and stuff, even if the scale says they weigh that, they they are you know the weight of a dr six fifty or close to it and stuff. Um, you don't feel it when you're riding. You feel it when you pick it up off the ground for sure. But it it's not like it's that this big heavy bike. And sometimes that weight. Really helps a novice rider who these bikes tend to be designed for because that weight adds a, a form of stability. It makes it planted to the ground. The bike isn't twitchy. It doesn't react too quick. It makes the steering a little bit slower. All these characteristics I'm talking about are, are good for more novice riders. So, um, in that essence, it's it's not that bad. And a lot of riders, it doesn't matter whether they're on a 250 or they're on a 650, they're only going to use about three quarters of the throttle ever they're never going to use you know the full yes. the full pull of throttle we see this all the time and um, when you're riding down the road just doing normal riding a 250 like a CRF 250L will keep up with the guy on the DR650 most of the time you don't see people getting gapped because they're on a smaller bike or yeah. not being able to go where they want to go and that that power they, they want that power level that's why they make those bikes that's uh, why they're there and and if it's not for you then uh, quit bagging on it, uh, Bob. You know, Bob, you were called a big brain in the oh. chat room. So, next question, Bob, what do you have?
3: This guy's a poor judge of character. The crank wheels are smaller, and that's what makes it easier.
1: Right. right. Yeah, yeah. The the the, the rotating mass. Right. Um, yeah, with with certain with power, I always say this: power adds weight. When you add power, it adds weight. And we we talked about this on on a, on a future or a past tech talk. And so if, if all of a sudden you're saying, well, this podcast is going below my uh, I need more advanced knowledge and better stuff. Hey, listen to some of these. Sometimes we talked about how the reason power makes a bike feel heavier, how it how it 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 picks the bike up and puts all the weight onto the rear wheel. And there's a heavier crank spinning around and a lot of I mean, we got into it pretty deep at at one point. So, um, yeah, you can figure out. I think uh, that's
2: yeah. around like episode 40.
1: See, there, there, that's good information, Logan. That's where Co host just came into play.
2: Yes. Yeah, somewhere around Solid.
1: there. Solid. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we got any questions in the So now we have an argument in the chat room. Uh, Tom Ray's says uh, kilowatts is 0. 0.7. And Martin Hackworth, who we were going to call here in a, a minute and talk about Tour of Idaho, we should probably call him real quick. Uh, he says it's 0. 0.75 kilowatts. And at, if you're reducing my power by 0. 0.7 and 0. 0.75, um, I only want you to cut me by 0.75. Yeah. Yeah. Do the math. Uh, let's. I so I have it. So you. Uh, let's see. I answered the guy about the Tenere seven hundred seat comfort. I told him that the, the tall seat had plenty of comfort. The stock seat was like you know it was average. Um, but then again we don't ride uh, sitting down. Why don't you Why don't you read that one? I'm gonna get Martin on the horn um,
2: here. Fred Boris, great review. As always, you can trust what Jimmy says. Heather is a great writer in her own right, and worth listening listening to
1: that guy's a smart guy, yes, yeah, so got going to bring in martin um hey hey, hey martin how you doing? You're live on tech talk taco tuesday do, you, do you, Fred Burris is a smart guy. do you think so? Who is that now? Oh, Fred, he said he can always trust what I say. <laughs> <laughs> He is a smart guy. 0.75 percent of the time, evidently. <laughs> I'm, I'm like that,
3: the, that's 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 close. It's not exact, but that's pretty close.
1: Yeah, I'm like I'm like the kilowatts of motorcycle information. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how how you doing, Martin? I know I know you you're you're having a rough go with the uh, with the old body. It's uh, trying to show you how old you are.
3: Uh, it's, it's been an interesting few months, but you know, it'll pass literally in my
1: case. <laughs> well, that's good. I, I, am sure the guys in the tour of Idaho, uh, and for those of you who don't know, Martin Hackworth is the creator of tour of Idaho. He also runs a website called moto, moto jazz.com motorcycle, jazz motorcycle jazz.com. Jazz. You got to so I you you shorten it all the time when uh, you just call it Mojazz, <laughs> so uh-huh. MotorcycleJazz.com dot com and uh, and uh, basically uh, yeah the instigator the overlord of the tour of Idaho which I've had the pleasure of doing uh, I think it's been five years now
3: it has it was five years ago I've been posting some photos on the old Facebooks you know it tells you when you have these anniversaries it keeps coming up with you and Jimmy Lewis share an anniversary five years ago, and it's uh, your tour
1: of Idaho. Well, hey, thanks a lot. Happy anniversary, Martin. I'm glad we could <laughs> we could uh, we could share that together. But uh, I was I was the I was the early guy on when I did the tour. I was one of the first guys to go through. There, there definitely been some people before me. And um, if you don't know what the tour of Idaho is, it's basically a uh, it's a dual sport. Uh, And I say that lightly because you pretty much want to be riding as much of a dirt bike as you can. Uh, Largely single track, uh, single track and two track, very little pavement from Utah to Canada. And how many miles is it this year?
3: A little over 2000 this year. Wow.
1: Yeah. So it's a pretty substantial uh, little haul. And it takes uh, for a smart person. How many days does it take? 10 days. 10. So Jimmy's dumb and Jimmy tried to knock a day off of it when he did it. And there's a, there's a video, there's a video on the YouTube that's now been watched like, like 30,000 times or something crazy. So, uh, if you, if you want to, your listeners
3: need to know something about the Jimmy tour of Idaho right off before we go anywhere else. So this is classic Jimmy. Uh, He did do it early in 2015. He was the first person through and yeah, there's tire tracks through there, but that's probably not people actually doing a tour. Because it used to be, I used to go out and saw it first every year. I'd ride as much of it as I could with a saw, saw it to make sure that people that were trying to do it for a jersey never could get through. So the earliest we ever recommend anybody doing it is July 15th. And we've now pushed that back to the last week of July. I think Jimmy calls me in like July 15th and it's classic Jimmy. So I'm sitting in my house. I've got all my saws apart in my shop, and I'm getting ready to literally put them on my bike to take off and do this. And the phone rings, and it's Jimmy, and it's like, hey, Martin, I'm three hours away. I'm going to do the tour of Idaho. You're going with me. And the pitch to sell me on this is, oh, yeah, we're making a movie, and the cinematographer is from the same hollow you're from in Kentucky, so you guys (laughs) should get along great.
1: Well, you took you took a few little liberties on on, on that. I, I think I told you at least four days in advance. Uh, I did. I and I and I asked permission. Hey, Erica, go outside with that there, so oh, it doesn't do the feedback. Yeah, uh, Logan's smart. He puts it on closed captions. By the way, yeah, there's a way you can do that. and I guess it's pretty good. Uh, we got feedback because they can't in in my incredible awesome studio full of technical difficulties. Uh, Martin, um, uh-huh. they can't hear you. Only Logan and I can hear you on our with our headphones. So that's what we're going through here. Cause somebody turned it on the speaker <laughs> and, and it was, it was a few minutes de- delay, but uh, I, and I asked for permission to film, to, to say, I wanted to, I wanted to go. if no, it was cool. Cause I didn't know how on, on the download you wanted to keep the tour of Idaho. And, uh, and then I, yeah, I kind of just went and, and did it Jimmy style, which was just run it. <laughs> it,
3: it was awesome. And it, it made the tour because it took it from something that, truly was underground and something that truthfully was getting to be such a hassle to administer that I was thinking about walking away after you did it, it it really changed the whole vibe around the thing we got a much better caliber of rider that started showing up people were much better prepared because they watched your movie and you know, the fact of the matter is, I do two or three things well in riding a motorcycle in one of them. So nobody cares what Martin Hackworth has to say about a motorcycle ride, but everybody cares about what Jimmy Lewis has to say about a motorcycle ride. And we just got a much better caliber of rider showing up. In well, the years since you came, your buddies, the movie stars did it. That helped. Yep. Uh, we had first female finisher last year, Carrie Barton, that helped. So every year we've gotten a better caliber participant. And this year's the first year I haven't felt like slitting my wrist by this time. It's really worked pretty well.
1: That's, <laughs> I mean, it's it's like anything. It takes a little bit of time for kind of education to set in play. And when, and and when when I started investigating, and and you, you know this, I I had been watching it for a few years, just saying I, I'm going to do that. It was just on a bucket list thing, and just the the planets aligned, and I had the time where I was able to go to go, you know, take the time to do it. But I looked at the trails, and I'd ridden. I would say a fair majority of them individually, different d- different times and different things. But there was these very, very remote sections that really intrigued me. And that's what made me want to do a tour of Idaho because you can't go there unless you're going from point A to point B. And some of these areas skirt wilderness areas with no gas stations. Mm-hmm. There's no way to I – mean, I mean, they're seldomly used trails. Now they're getting – the good thing about the tour, though, what, what you've done is you, you, now – people are using these trails on a regular basis. They're maintaining them, keeping them clear and they're getting just used enough to where they still have that pristine character. But Mm -hmm. unless you have somebody running gas or you're planning to go from here all the way, way up to there and it's not convenient to run gas, nobody rides these trails. And that's what really intrigued me about kind of stitching that whole thing together.
3: Well, as you know, I mean uh, a passion that you and I share that got me into a hell of a lot of trouble is, you know, defending our right to use these trails, defending our rights in public lands. And we lose trails every year due to neglect. They're on the maps, but people don't ride them, and the next thing you know, they're gone. They don't show up in the next travel plan. The Tour of Idaho has, uh, we make extensive use of trails that just a few years ago existed on maps, but nobody had ever ridden them, or they haven't been ridden in years. There's no tread, there's no blazes, there's no nothing. So we specialize in going in deep into Idaho, finding trails like that, cutting them out. And it, And I get too much of the credit for this. There's people everywhere that are involved in this. And we cut those things out. We sign them. We make sure that the trail tread good trail tread that's not going to wash away in the first storm. And by golly, uh, this year, a lot of day one is trail that didn't exist just a few years ago. And a lot of day six is trail that didn't exist a few years ago. So uh, – and
1: I, in one case – I want to come we back. We I actually, want to come back and do that. Like I, I'm literally – the whole reason my, my motorhome is parked at Martin's house, <laughs> if you want to know, is <laughs> – uh, and, and you see he's threatening to let his kids who are, what, three and – Five? One of them's
3: two and a half, two. one of them's four, and the four-year-old got three laps around the driveway today before he
1: clipped a tree. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say there. I know they're practicing driving my motorhome <laughs> around the yard, but uh, I, I, the whole the whole thing I've been delaying is because I want to come up there. I want to ride that new day one. I want to. I want to. I want to take. I want to spend a day and go do some of that new stuff because you. I mean, when we were riding our adventure bikes out of there when I left my motorhome there, the whole time my my was rubbernecking those mountains, going, "Oh yeah, I want to ride up there. I want to check that out because I haven't ridden there, and that's." That's what makes the tour kind of a kind of a neat thing.
3: The stuff you were looking at on Elkhorn was literally going to be a roadless area, a, a local environmental group, little storefront operation that makes all their money by suing the government and then recouping legal fees, has this dream of creating a wilderness corridor that runs all the way from Canada to the Mexican border. And they're trying to implement their idea by suing federal agencies piecemeal to get these small areas declared roadless. That whole Elkhorn area was the subject of a lawsuit. They wanted to make a roadless area. Well, wait, there's trails on the map there. You can't make this roadless. And the environmental group went in, took pictures, and rightfully claimed, well, nobody uses these trails. Within a year, they were on the tour of Idaho. So... That's how we fix stuff like
1: that. Yeah, and that's that's being proactive, and and uh, that's I mean it's it's awesome. This is what I tell people about land use. You need to be aware nationally. You know, you need to be, you know it's hard to find a good a good group that will tell you what's going on nationally. But individually, we all we need to find an area locally that we can be involved in, and you know, in a state group, so you can you can do your part to kind of fight for this stuff, or at least support those guys that are doing it. So. Hey, how's, uh, how's yeah. my buddy uh, Brian doing up there, cutting trails?
0: Uh,
3: as far as I know, he's doing pretty good. I haven't talked to him for a while. Yeah. But uh, he's doing all right. But two buddies of yours, Hans and Wayne, That's... made a, a deep run at the Tour of Idaho this year. Hans had to retire, I think, on day five. But Wayne, it looks like he's going to finish. I haven't verified his tracks yet. Oh, uh, he finished as a soloist. Spent two nights out, I think. Um, <laughs> it, it was quite the adventure.
1: Yeah, see that, so, that, that uh, was that was that was the main reason for my calls because I haven't had a chance to track him, and I didn't I didn't even know what name you gave their team. What did you call their team? Steel horses steel horses okay because um, we had Wayne on the show a while back um, see if Logan right. were didn't did his show prep and I would have told him that we were gonna talk about this he would know what show remember we had the guy from the tour of Idaho here or you might not have been here that night
2: I wasn't there but
1: yeah yeah you g- guess what show it is like
2: if I had to guess I'd go
1: 43 ish 52
2: probably not that high <laughs> not that but
1: high. but uh we had we had uh Wayne on the show because he he was it was in the it was in the early uh, spring and he was asking a lot of questions about, hey Jimmy, what would you do this? So we actually did a whole episode with him um, you know talking about prep and stuff and um, do you know why Hans had to retire? his knees Oh jeez yeah it's yeah, not for, it's, it, it's not for kids
3: <laughs> it, you know a friend of mine just called me a little while ago, a, a guy that I just I think the world of he's, he's a good dude. His name's chad hunter and i don't know whether he's listening or not but he had to retire today because of his wrists and the reason i have kidney stones right now and i'm getting a hip replaced in about two weeks is the tour of idaho <laughs> had a lot to do with all that it beats you to death and uh you know a, a lot of young people get to the end uh, I, I mean i talk to these guys like you know our mutual friends the movie stars it'd be hard to find three stronger guys than tony jesse and Steven. And they got to the end and they looked like they had been castaways, you know, with a soccer ball on an island. So it really beats you to death. And the one advantage that, uh, that guys like you and I have that are a little bit older is, especially you, I mean, your expertise is how to be efficient. And my expertise is a lot more in just general woodsmanship, generally being in the outdoors Uh, If you try to solve everything with your right hand, you're going to get killed. But if you are efficient, if your navigation's good and you're uh, pretty good in the outdoors, you know, you're sort of a well-rounded outdoors person, and you don't go too fast, you slow down, you exercise some throttle discipline, you can get through it, but it still extracts a horrible price. The last time I did it, I peed blood for the last two days, and I could not feel the pinky and ring finger in either of my hands for a month. And that's very common. That's,
1: that's what 12 hours, that's what 12 hours on a dirt bike for 10 days will do to most normal people, especially when you, I mean, I mean, you, I, I watched the, I watch the forums that you guys kind of do. I kind of on the side, you know, check some of that stuff out mm-hmm. and like, you know, these guys talk about doing training and, and I, I'm like, well, when was the last time you rode five days in a row for 12 hours a day? You, you, you're talking about all this training, yeah, I'm on my cycling and I'm riding this. And I know Hans was out here riding a whole bunch, but I'm like, you're not putting in the kind of hours you're going to put in on the tour. And if you do, it's not three or four days. You're going to start finding out where you really are on day four, day five, day six, You know yep. where where, you're, where your body's out. And, and it's the little crash on day three that rears its ugly head on day five. And it's the same thing with rally racing and, and stuff that, that I had done that it's it's hard. It's really hard to train for. And, and that's when, when I just kind of giggle when people go, well, what's the best way to, you know, what's the best way to train? And everybody's so worried about their bike. And it's like. The, the bike's the least to your concerns i mean just set it up like my bike was a perfect example as my bike that i've been riding forever with the same gear i had on it forever with the same navigation i had on it forever with the tires i knew and we got we got a question for um that we're gonna we're gonna ask you because <laughs> i don't want to answer all the questions here but uh it just makes uh it it just makes it's just what you've practiced and it just makes it common but you're never gonna really find out what your body's gonna teach you until six or seven days in
3: And, and something that can't be emphasized enough. And this is a pitch for what you do it's just being efficient in the way you go about things even little things like the way you get on and off your bike is important when you're getting off 35 times a day to open and close a fence and <laughs> the one thing that i learned from no, you day
1: 2 <laughs> day 2 <laughs> yeah yeah
3: the one thing i learned from you you know and taking your your course a couple of times is it really helped me learn to be more efficient on the bike and then something i learned from you that you never taught me i just learned from watching you is that uh, you you don't try to solve everything with throttle. And these guys that get out on the tour that think that they can make up for their lack of navigation just by going faster from point A to point B, don't understand that every time you bounce off a rock at 35, it requires a lot more energy than if you bounced off it at 15. And over the course of days, that pounding will eventually take a toll in your body that probably you won't be able to overcome if you don't break your bike. There's plenty of guys that are strong enough to ride the tour to race base, but I don't know if a motorcycle. Oh, come, on. come on,
1: Martin. When in doubt, that. gas it out. I, I I I see that on all the I see it on all the the the, the guys. You know, just just gas it. Yeah.
3: I, I hear adventure rider, That's the best advice, so it's got to be true.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just just um, get over the back and gas it. That works. That works so well <laughs> when you're on one of those like little skinny trails. That's it's like a wheel and a half width wide on the side of a, a scree hill. Uh,
3: you With an
1: 800 foot drop. Well, yeah, it's not. You don't have to worry about that because you're not going to fall off. It's when you come around the switchback right before you just need to get your speed up so you can just sail right. You know, I always say just float right across that. But um, you know how it works. It's it's no problem. Um, no problem. So uh, Logan, what's our what's our? Danny Turner has a question. Um, I gave him a feedback on the show last week a little bit about anticipating um, front to rear balance, but he wanted to clear. Oh no. Is he the one that no? Where's the one about the tour of Idaho? I thought that was it. Oh no, we got the, Todd Kelly has the tour of Idaho question. The last one there.
2: Okay. Um. Hey, Jimmy. Hey,
1: Taco. Martin. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Taco Mike recently just did a podcast about the guys from the.
1: It's R I Idaho group. You, you're familiar with them, Martin? Yeah. Okay.
2: Uh, to go out to Idaho and do some riding this season yet. I have the 300 TPI that would be ideal for, ideal, but I want to do some moto camping off the, bike instead of, instead I am going to ride my trusty 09 WR450F. I'm considering, concerned about jetting as, I'm usually between sea level up to forty five hundred k. At the highest. Yeah.
1: So 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 remember when we were talking about the <laughs> they're not worried about they're worried about their bike. So he's he's yeah. he's, he's, he's lobbed uh, three hundred TPI and then he said, well, that's not the bike. So he he threw out threw in his wr four fifty F and now he's going to go into uh, a jetting question. He says. He says, the bike is jetted perfectly currently with the RD bowl, adjustable leak jet and a fuel screw, the aftermarket FMF exhaust, and all the free mods, not specifically uh, wet jets, but can you point me in the right direction as far as a smaller main jet, different needle position, etc., that I should do to compensate for the higher elevations? Or should I just not mess with the jets and just adjust the leak and fuel screws?
3: <laughs> this is a question for me.
1: <laughs> oh, I thought it was a question. Yeah, no, these are the kind of questions we get. And and so so here's here's where he goes. He goes. Secondly, Martin, uh, concerning the turn of Idaho, would you just advise against running a tubeless? I plan on bringing all the tools necessary to address a flat or compensate a tubeless failure. Also what kind of pulley system were you carrying and did you ever need it on the route? <laughs> so here, here's the, that, this, so this is the, this is the gist of the question. So I'm going I'm say instead of answering those specifically, I just want you as the guy who has to do the alls all the time to take a step back <laughs> And what, what are you seeing?
3: Well, first of all, the answer to every single question this gentleman just asked is written down on our website. It's been discussed ad infinitum, ad nauseum. Maybe not the jetting question and stuff like that, but, like, bikes, tires. People have those questions all the time, and it's all written down on MotorcycleJazz.com. All you got to do is go to the Tour of Idaho pages, and it's answered there. Did, did right. you tell me this guy came from, like, the Ride Idaho group?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's where he well, was. a bunch of...
3: <laughs> that bunch of broke ass knuckleheads are supposed to be the biggest geniuses on the planet. Why the hell are you asking me? Ask those <laughs> refugees. Yeah, those I, guys are the guys that copied the tour of Idaho because they kind of didn't like the rules. Oh, so ask those guys. Yeah, but if, Were, are, are, they the, are they the ones?
1: Are they the ones that said that you should take an? You could take an adventure bike on it because it's not that hard.
3: Yeah, that's, that's kind of that. That's kind of the general gist. Yeah. There are some people in that group that are nice that don't yeah. understand the background and stuff. But that. But basically, to, the serious answer to the question is: all that stuff is written down. But I'm going to just I'm going to echo what Jimmy said. It doesn't matter what kind of bike you bring here, as long as it's a reasonably light enduro. You know, as Jimmy said, much more focused towards a dirt bike. If I were doing the tour right now, and this is all written down, and it's well known that I say this. If I were doing it with the bikes I have in my shop right now, I do it on my 300, and it's not even you know it's not even the TPI. Mine's just a 300 carbureted bike. Right. I do it on that.
1: And and, and next... in doing that, so you so you're gonna you're gonna suffer uh, the disadvantages of fuel range. It's and I don't right. know. If, I know the year I did it, I needed every ounce of my 5.5 gallon Acherby's tank and the two one gallon gas cans that I carried in. On that one long section uh, up in the, uh, oh, what was the name of it? Going through the,
3: uh, yeah, you're going across the Magruder Road. The yeah. Magruder
1: Road, yeah. I I needed every ounce of gas that I had.
3: The next bike that I'll buy for the tour, however, will be a 350, a KTM 350. Right. And, uh, a bike like that. I know you like the 500. Yeah, I was going to say.
1: Uh, you know, the KTM 500 is a better bike.
3: <laughs> According to Jimmy Lewis, which means it's the last word. That's true.
1: No, it isn't. But when
3: you're a 64 year old guy like me, who's now bionic, you know, you want the lightest that you can. The 350 is a little lighter. And the fact that, you know, it's a little down on power doesn't bother me. I'm one of these kind of guys. I'm the guy that in road racing went from the leader bikes all the way down until I got to the 500 mod prod, which is where I found my size. Yeah. So basically every modern motorcycle makes enough power for me. It's the character the power delivery.
1: But but and, Martin, uh, the K- that, that's why I
3: ride the three hundred. The KTM three fifty you know, like an on and off.
1: But Martin, the KTM three fifty is only a few pounds lighter than the five hundred. <laughs>
3: I know, but, dude, you know, a few pounds is a lot, man. I, I'm getting a big belly in my convalescence here, and I, I feel that extra five pounds.
1: Yeah. No, it's 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 the way the bike reacts. It feels like 40 pounds lighter when you're riding it. And the good thing about the KTM 350 or the Husky 350 specifically is in the past few years, they've really concentrated into bringing the torque up. You know the kind of torque yeah, that yeah. you're going to use when you're going around a switchback, and you're know, riding nice and slow and in balance along those scree hills. The technical stuff, and the fact that you have to buzz it a little bit more when you're going down the roads—big deal. It doesn't care. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, but uh, no, it's,
3: I, it's light and it's durable, and, I, and until somebody comes along with something different, that'll be my next tour bike. I think I'm going to start building one next year.
1: Uh, just get a big ass tank. <laughs> carry all the carry all the gas on the bike.
3: Uh, well, I'll talk to our buddy Brian Fullerton up, Fullerton up in Ketchup and He'll hook us up. Yeah, so that's you
1: know you, know you know the one thing that Churby's has has stopped making is the really really big tank. The they they've they've kind of they've kind of they've kind of been all sub uh, you know sub five gallons you know around four and four and four and a half and I really miss that extra gallon <laughs> that I used to be able to stuff in there. So
3: as long as it's over four, it'll work. Yeah, you know, I remember doing the tour one year. And I had a seven gallon tank on the bike and it was just too awful to even consider. I wanted to rip the thing off at the end of yeah. the day.
1: Yeah, and that, that was on that the Sierra 450X, right?
3: Yeah, all that fuel is just too much sloshing around that tank and the way the bike handles from the beginning to the end of that, it's just incredible. And you notice it even at trail speeds and the tank was so big, there were places I couldn't fit it between the trees. It was incredible.
1: <laughs> yeah that that tank was a bit of a monster that that was that was maybe a little bit overboard that was more of a desert rally (laughs) style tank, not not for being able to squeeze the bike through a single track but uh Hey, well, I want to thank you for coming on and uh, just chatting about that because, I mean, I, I remember all the good times on the tour. And, and the, the cool thing was is, is that year Martin did come out and like on one day specifically, he got ahead of me on the tour and cut some logs. And there was another group of some of your buddies that pay attention to what was going on. They went out and cut some logs because I saw fresh, fresh sawdust. And I was and and seeing the, the number of logs that they cut, as well as some of the ones that I cut when I was going through. It would have been a really long, long day <laughs> had I not had the help. And, and, uh, that was, uh, that made it a lot better.
3: There are hundreds of people that are involved in this thing every year. And that's the coolest thing about being a part of this, whether you're a participant or a merchant along the way, or whether you're me, just sitting here kind of watching all the pieces work and you've run enough big events to know that despite the hassles, there is a certain satisfaction of just kind of understanding that it is possible for human beings to work together just to do something that's cool. And that's kind of what everybody involved in this project does. So every year there's people that go out on mountain bikes and horseback and saw trees for us. And then they stand on the side of the road when the tour buys guys go by. They're all tracking them. They hold up signs. Hey, Team Callaho, Good for you.
1: <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, it wasn't. I don't think it was that popular when I was doing it, but it was still. Like I said, it was still kind of uh, a lot of fun. But um, you know, he, uh, Martin, and I's advice: uh, do it on a a, a more dirt bike esque dual sport bike. Don't think you can do it on a dual sport <laughs> bike or a uh, adventure bike. Uh, pay attention to all the stuff and the effort he puts into all the stuff on motorcyclejazz.com that tells you how to do it, uh, understand how to read maps and navigate, that's pretty important and uh, know your size. <laughs> know know your size about your ability level and your uh, equipment level. Yeah?
3: Yeah. We're going to pick this up on PBR Monday when you get up here, right?
1: I uh, yeah, I I'm 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 going to I well if it has to be a Wednesday or Thursday, we'll see what happens. You, you never know, Martin. I might hop on the damn motorcycle tonight and ride up there. <laughs>
3: well we can tape it it'll still be a prb monday we can tape it uh, doesn't necessarily have to be live but uh yeah we'll do a pbr monday and uh we'll talk all about it a little bit more Uh, one thing one final thing to answer the guy's question he said something specifically about tubeless yep i would leave the tubeless back in poughkeepsie if i were him (laughs) uh the bid mooses are starting to get to the point where i think i trust them but i'm an old school guy and heavy you know ultra heavy duty tubes with a little bit of slime in them have served me very well for many years i've done the tour six times and failed probably a dozen more and i've never <laughs> had a flat
1: yeah and i did it i did it with um uh kenda medium tubes not the super heavies but the medium tubes uh with baby powder in the in the tires and that was it nothing Nothing fancy yeah. or special, but I tell you what, if I were to go do it tomorrow, I would do it with the same tires. I would do it with the Kenda Bar- Parker DTs, which are the ones that I used and I like, and I would run the, um, the, the, uh, uh nitro Moose's. I have 100% confidence. I have 100% confidence in the way that those things work and I would I would have to you know, for me personally I'd have to do a little bit more testing on like a Michelin moose just to see if it would go that distance and or, you know, different tires, but that's the setup that I used and I mean everybody's everybody's got their own particular thing and um, you know, if if you know that it works, then then run it and if you don't know if it works, then test it more yeah there you go <laughs> so hey thanks a lot for coming on tonight martin and uh i will uh keep in touch just uh, uh take it, care brother yeah keep the kids out of the mother home <laughs> uh
3: that's that's too late for that <laughs> take <laughs> hey,
1: care man right, see you so everybody that was martin hackworth the uh the godfather of the tour of idaho and uh motorcycle com. uh if you're interested in that kind of stuff i like i said i i had a question on the tour of idaho and it was very typical a lot of the questions i get where it just goes all over the place um so uh to todd kelly specifically um uh be careful where you're getting your information on the internet as you can as you can tell um (laughs) you're you're getting your information from me which i feel is a trusted source but do your research uh and you know when you when you you, you know, Martin said he would do it on a 300 uh, I would I would be hesitant To do the tour on a 300 uh, Just, I would be hesitant to do it on a two stroke in general Not that it couldn't be done It's just there's better bikes for the job And then All of a sudden you jump into an older You know, god that bike's 10 years old now And it's carbureted And You know, how, how, how much do you Trust it? I know if you were San Felipe Bob You would just take and go ride it Right now because it's a Yamaha, but um, I would uh, want be wanting something newer and fuel injected and with a with a bigger tank. So, as far as the jetting goes and stuff of like that, I, it's hard to speak to that because once you start modifying things, everything's a system. So you got this whole bike thing going on, and then now we're going to go over into like you know the tour of Idaho. I did not carry me specifically. I did not carry a pulley system or a a rope system. I had a tow rope with me that I could use in case I needed it. But uh, Martin highly recommends uh, a pulley system uh, because he also expects the – I think he sets his level of where the rider ability is that you're going to ride off a cliff at one point or another during a tour. I rode off one a little bit, but I was able to, you know, heave-ho my bike back up, and I didn't expect to ride off a cliff at all. Um, So that's uh, that's my insight on that uh if you do that just pay real close attention um follow all the follow all the stuff that's uh that guys have posted watch some videos um talk to somebody who's done it before somebody who's, who's completed it and also talk to somebody who's failed or a few people that have failed and ask them why and i'll bet you they were the same ones that were over here asking me about how to jet their bike how to set up their bike how to do all this stuff and i said man you need to take some riding lessons <laughs> uh okay, where are we at on this one? On this question. I lost you lost your place? Yeah. I think we were Um Paul Kitchen. Oh yeah. <laughs> Re- read that to the where it goes to italics.
2: Um, Paul Kitchen. Nice review. I am so sick of canned reviews by motor journalists. Even Heather's not knowing all of the te- terminology just explained what she felt or noticed was refreshing. Keep it up.
1: So what I got out of that was um, keep my wife in the kitchen and cooking me canned foods. Right? Right. I don't pay much attention. To this. <laughs> uh thanks thanks, Paul. Um, I actually sent him that, that that back as kind of a joke because you know, sometimes I only hear about half the question. A lot of times I've read them before and then I kind of hear you reading, and I'm like the getting thirsty and or trying to, you know, coordinate something over on this side of the show. But uh um I'm just another canned journalist. Come on, just f- read the internet. <laughs> um so the net, we were right, that's where we were on the next one. What's our, uh, oh, he's talking about Dallas from our show last time.
2: Uh, Charlie Tuna, 1971. If Dallas were in a true squad, squat, weighted on heels, he would have felt soreness in his gut. Glutes. Glutes. Um, soreness in his quads indicates he w- might have, Weighted more on the balls of his feet. I am O cycling,
1: in my opinion,
2: oh. cycling may not work to decrease muscle memory to put him on the balls of his feet because cycling cleats clip in near the front of the foot. Of course, cycling is still great for cardio prep.
1: You think Charlie Tuna is a uh physio? physiologist physio
2: physiologist
1: physio maybe i don't know he knows about the muscles heather knows about the muscles maybe she should do a podcast on that (laughs) uh also he says i'm looking at a ktm EXC f500 tomorrow because of you yes yeah best bike ever known to man um not because ktm sponsors this show (laughs) uh next question
2: thorn is my name Thorn, Thoron? Um Seeing as your—that's
1: Tyrone, man. Tyrone. Tyrone is a is a meanery. Thorn. <laughs> it, I can't. Let's say his last name is, is is my name. Is Thorn is my name. Tyrone is my name. Yeah.
2: Seeing is you're looking for people who bought a bike off your reviews after hearing about the. Excf on the tour of Idaho video. I ended up buying ones, one spring of 2020. Also, tonight is my first time putting a moose in. Also, off your advice.
1: Well, he's drank the Kool Aid, hasn't he, Tyrone? Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah, that that just uh, you know helps 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 keep me plugging along here. Oh, this is a good one,
2: Jeff Davies. Jimmy, I'm a builder and I'm thinking of chopping my 1090 and ditching the stock tank and going with KTM 450 rally tank for the rear and the split tanks up front. I'm hoping for a better center of gravity, access to the air filter without fuss, and better movement on the saddle or do you recommend just a good damper setup first and then evaluate honestly i'm just not confident enough in the loose stuff as it is
1: okay what's the problem what do you think is what do you think his problem is besides wanting to cut his perfectly good motorcycle apart because he's a builder do you think he wears like skinny jeans and like he has a beard and like he's in one of those videos where he's like using two grinders at the same time? Is that, <laughs> is that, does that mean he's a builder? I don't know. I saw, I saw, I saw those before. Um, so this is a, this is a problem. This is, this is a, a question that just goes down a strange path. Like he's ready to chop his 1090 and do all this crazy stuff. And it all comes back to. I'm just not confident in the loose stuff as it is. In the middle, he throws, he lobs in. Will a steering damper fix this? I'm just breaking it down. I'm pulling, I'm pulling it back, and just kind of going what I'm seeing here. So, Jeff, I would suggest before you cut that nice motorcycle in half or do whatever you're going to do to it, uh, chopping, <laughs> um, I would learn to ride with my hands off the handlebars uh, because it could either a eliminate you from ever having to ride again, or B show you that you're horribly out of balance. And it's really not the bikes problem. Because if you, if you do that, what I was just saying, and don't really do this, but if you're riding long, going about 30 or 40 miles an hour, stand up in the foot pegs, put your hands up in the air, straight up in the air, like high up in the air and just jump off the motorcycle. That motorcycle will continue to go straight and just keep going for a long time before it tips over. But if you, Stand up on the motorcycle and put your hands up in there, like I'm saying, and you try to stay on it, that motorcycle will try to crash quicker than you know what to do with it, which means, who's the problem? And and so you start talking about stability and moving weight around on the bike and all this other stuff. You've got, well, if you're Logan size, maybe 130 pounds, 120?
2: 110.
1: 10? 110 pounds that you could use to influence that. And you can't move 110 pounds around in that motorcycle by doing gas tanks. But I know you're bigger than Logan. But if you're my size, you got 200 pounds. And just by leaning forward and backwards on the foot pegs, side to side on the foot pegs, you can move that weight around. You can transfer that weight around, and you don't need to chop or cut the bike. So will a steering stabilizer help that bike? Absolutely. I haven't met a bike that a steering stabilizer didn't help. But trying to put gas tanks on, unless you just have the if, – if you want to do it for sport or hobby because you're a builder, then I would say you know, go for it. I'd like to see that build. That would be kind of – kind of cool but I wouldn't start with that bike to begin with. Um there's probably a lot better <laughs> bikes to, to start chopping up. Uh but uh it's kind of a kind of a tricky uh, kind of a tricky question like if if you if you if you want to try to modify the bike to fix the problem that's not really the best path to fix the problem I think it has to do with the the way you're riding the motorcycle and I'm not just saying that cuz I run a riding school www.jimmylewisoffroad.com uh, we have announced our classes if you got our newsletter uh, if you're up in the pacific northwest by the way uh, cispuscycles.com has their class dates announced and they teach the exact same uh, formula as i do they will make you a better rider they will teach you how to ride with your hands up in the airs and make your bike more stable and so you don't have to chop it just saying we miss any questions on the form yet um. Not really.
2: There's one. Okay. Uh, Mike Mead. Is there a way to run backup fuel pumps on newer KTM Husqvarna?
1: A backup fuel pump? Yep. You're asking this because you've heard of all of the fuel pump failures that are going on. Like like 99 out of 100 bikes has a fuel pump failure, I guess, if you read the internet's. um so i have uh let's see how many fuel injected ktms do i with fuel pumps probably 20 of them not one of them has a backup fuel pump or any sort of backup fuel pump system on it nor do any of the bikes that i own have anything but stock fuel pumps and fuel pump components other than some of them have an inline fuel filter Uh, between the hose where it comes out of the tank and the injector. That's just the facts right there. So I don't know of any auxiliary add-on fuel pumps that you can run. I don't think you can do it because the fuel pump is also the collection unit and stuff. And I don't know that you can, if you put a pump in the middle of that line, if it would suck fuel past the original pump, if were something were to go wrong with the pump, you know and i don't know that the bike i I wouldn't know the power constraints of having a second pump on the bike and then how would you activate it like what would be turning it on and off um so i think you're asking kind of a question that that doesn't really need uh um answering that much other than you got my brain thinking like okay what would i do I I rode my bike on the tour of Idaho, almost two thousand miles. We talked about Martin about this, and I did not carry a fair, spare fuel pump. I didn't think about it. And if you watch the video, you'll watch when I think that my fuel pump went out and my ECU came unplugged. Oh, I should have gone to the internet and told everybody I had a fuel pump failure, but uh, that's a different story. So uh, I kind of don't understand the question. In reality. Um, if it's, if it's, if it's due to fear because of something you're, 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 you're experiencing, uh, we'll call it a YouTube video watching fear, or the guy who's trying to sell you the upgraded fuel pump instilled the fear of needing the upgraded fuel pump fear. You can do one of two things, completely ignore it and just ride your motorcycle and you will never have to replace your fuel pump. Maybe your fuel filter if you run bad gas, but never your fuel pump. And I'm still, like I said, I'm still running the stock fuel filters, which I do know by the way, they've changed the country of origin in. And I've been putting the ones that have been made in Turkey into my bikes lately. And I haven't had any failures yet. But these bikes are what's a 2012 now? How many old how many years old is it? Eight. And I just did it a year and a half ago and it's still working. So you know I got eight years out of a fuel pump on a bike that consumes a lot of fuel. So I will report back when I start noticing a failure rate that's different than what is standard. So you can completely ignore it, just run your stock stuff, and have a happy day. Or you can go buy all the stuff that the guy is going to sell you and feel confident that that's going to work forever, and hopefully it does. And if it works forever, then great, which maybe it will, and maybe it's better. I've yet to try one of those systems because I haven't needed it, and I have a lot of different bikes. So, And I'm not just saying that because... Hey, what is KTM, Logan? It's powered by a...
2: Distinct ready-to-race mentality.
1: It's the world's leading high-performance street and off-road sport motorcycle manufacturer with North American headquarters where?
2: Based in Marietta, California.
1: And over the years, what have they done?
2: Built a reputation as a fierce competitor on the racetracks around the world.
1: You're totally reading it. Oh. (laughs) You're supposed to do it off of memory. And its remarkable global success is reflected in every product develops and every move it makes. Do you know KTM won in MotoGP this weekend? Uh, and, and and the week before. No. The, yeah. Yeah. They, oh, they they got they got they got so they got um so the week before they got this this week they got pole position and winning. Okay. I yeah. Forgot. Then so and the then and then this would be the second the second motor. So this time they got pole position and winning. So crazy. That's I mean to to jump into that field if i was if i was one of the other manufacturers i mean you should have seen it coming cuz you saw them do it with motocross which everybody said no way i remember when ktm like nobody wanted to ride a ktm on the motocross track and now look at it yeah. so yeah they they're doing pretty good by sponsoring this podcast i think yeah a little bit uh it 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 makes it so that one day logan i might be able to give you a small paycheck for getting that podcast uploaded to whatever um A French iTunes account that we own (laughs) so um okay any other what other questions um uh, there's one other one that I saw here uh Danny Turner he said um he was the guy that uh, I gave a whole bunch of jetting advice to even though his bike was fuel injected I I told him how to change jets again me thinking that um only hearing half the question so uh he said, he said, whatever I told him worked wonders. <laughs> uh, so um, anyways, he can, uh, he said, I can also take the credit for him purchasing a 300. And uh, my influence uh, did give him the final decision to go with an XC. So that's good. As opposed to XC, XCW. We've always talked about that question a lot of time. Um He's uh, not looking for a response to this question, just trying to give more data. But he says, I do get a chuckle out of it every time you state we steer with our feet these days and can only imagine what Keith Code going nuts over that statement and Danny Walker telling you are both full of shit. (laughs) i reckon the different disciplines take different techniques but there is always crossover i know the top road race guys ride a lot of dirt Uh, surprise more top dirt guys don't do more pavement stuff well i'll tell you why they don't do pavement stuff it's expensive it's and it's so tire dependent um and yeah, it's, it's fun. I, I really enjoy kind of hanging out with uh, other guys that do riding coaching, especially guys that have had high level racing careers themselves. Cause we always talk about how we got to where we were being a lowly motorcycle coach now that almost anybody can do, but we came from this place in racing where we've kind of distilled the stuff down. And just because you're a good racer doesn't mean that you're going to be a good teacher or coach, but you, you learn some things and what, my racing taught me wasn't about how I rode the motorcycle. It taught me how to work hard and what you learned from doing things wrong when you were racing and how you improve them more than, okay, this is the technique for doing this or that. So, um, but, uh, yeah, good times. I've, I've had really good times with uh, Danny Walker cause he tells me, I don't know what the hell I'm doing all the time. And, uh, I have his chart. It's in the, it's in the office here. It shows you how to go around a flat track and, uh, pretty good chart. It's uh, it's worth the price of admission to one of his schools. So, uh, I've not taken the Keith code class, but I've had a lot of, um, in depth discussions with him over the years on stuff. And, uh, I, I don't remember exactly which philosophy Keith was teaching at that moment, but I know there's a lot of different ones. So, um, uh, and Baja diary says racing taught me not to race. This is the guy that wants to make a living going trail riding all the time. Uh, which he's doing a pretty good pretty good job of it actually. Uh, any other questions in there Logan?
2: None here. But... None
1: here. So we've kind of closed the, down this episode of Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. Yep. What 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 was your segment going to be? You're going to ask me a question about something.
2: <sighs> um
1: You can't remember your yeah. question? You got to you got to come here prepared. But hey, good with the episodes remembering which episodes things are in. We need to have a list. Yeah, of the shows of what we talked about, that could be something you could do. That could be homework. You have the list of the shows and it's kind of like the the, the cliff notes and what we talked about. So when I go, oh, yeah, you should listen to episode this or that, um, then we could tell people and then they could go back and uh, find it because eventually this will be a proper podcast uh, and uh, then you can listen to it that way. So, hey, thanks to uh, Climb. They've always been a big supporter. You're wearing a nice Climb shirt. I'm wearing a PAPS blue ribbon shirt. They're not supporting me right now. Uh, you can always buy a dirt bike test uh, t-shirt. They're in limited supply right now. What else do we need to tell them? Uh, I need a DD- I need a DDC sprocket. Oh, we've done our KTM reads. We're done with that obligation. Okay. Uh, recluse. What? How do you? How do you know if you need a recluse clutch?
2: If you can't ride with one hand off the handlebar.
1: Not close enough. It just makes you a better rider, right? Yeah. Yeah, and they make all kinds of good clutch components. Uh, other than that, I think uh, we're all good. We're gonna wrap this show up. Thanks, Logan, for showing up on time.
2: Yeah.
1: And we'll see you tomorrow to edit this down so you can get it up on the YouTube so somebody else can tell me it's not a podcast. Yeah. Okay, and with that, we will uh, see you out on the trail. So, cheers.